Well, please have a seat and uh, grab your Bible once again. And as we come together to remember Jesus dying for us, shedding his blood on that cross, I want you to turn to John chapter 3 with me. And I actually want to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a man, and he actually talks about his death long before it even happens. And I want to look at the insight that Jesus gives to his own death. He says something that couldn't really be understood until after he had died. And he has a conversation here in John chapter 3. Hopefully you got a Bible and you, you can turn there with a man named Nicodemus. And it says here in John chapter 3 verse 1 that this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now if you know the Bible at all, the Pharisees, they're, they're basically the bad guys. We would use the word hypocrites. These are people who knew the law. They knew what God had commanded. They even added more commands onto what God had said. But yet, Jesus was always going after these guys because they didn't do the commands. And so here, one of them comes to Jesus at night. And you can see there in verse 2, John 3, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, so he's showing Jesus some respect here. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, miracles that you do, unless God is with him. So here comes a religious man, and he says, you're doing something good, because it must be from God. Look at what you're doing. And that's kind of uh, where he ends his thought. He's kind of feeling a little bit awkward, I would imagine. I think that a lot of people feel awkward on Good Friday because many people think that if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. And my question to that is, if that's true, then why did Jesus come all the way down here to die on the cross? Can I get an amen from anybody on that? If we are such good people that we could just do more good than bad or, you know, just put a few nice things together in our life and God's just going to welcome us in after we die, then why the trouble? Why all the separation? Why the Father sending His Son who then goes through the process of living a perfect life and then just dying in the most miserable way I think that we've ever come up with for someone to die, crucifixion, more like torture than execution. Why is Jesus doing that if you or I could save ourselves? If you or I could earn our own way to heaven? Then why does Jesus go through all of this and see that Nicodemus, he represents that guy that thinks, if I just do enough good stuff, I will get to heaven. And he's confused by Jesus Christ. He doesn't know quite how to respond to him. He's from God, but what should he do about it? And Jesus cuts right to the heart. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered him, something that's been confusing people now for hundreds of years. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you weren't born right the first time, Jesus says. You've got to be born again. You just don't need to try a little harder, do a little better, do more good things. No, you need a whole new life. That's what Jesus says right away. You must be born again. And it's great. It's great. I've gotten to talk to people this week, even here in this room, 
who have been trying so hard to be a good person and realizing they're never going to be good enough, but when they give up on being a person and they ask God to give them new life in Jesus Christ, they get born again and then they have the power to live for him. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. But you can see that Nicodemus doesn't get it. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now I would hope that Nicodemus isn't asking that question in a literal sense, right? Because that's an awkward mental picture to think about. But I think he's trying to answer something that he thinks is uh, an, an allegory of some kind with another metaphor, and he clearly is missing the point, so Jesus explains. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, now he's getting more specific, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus now, total head scratcher, asks one of the great questions of all time. How can these things be, he says. Which you, is a question you should just drop, my friends, at any given moment of the day. You know? Someone said, you ask someone at your table, hey, can you pass me whatever, the ketchup? And they say, I can't reach it right now, just shout out at your dinner table, how can these things be? Bring drama to life. It's just a, it's just a great question. He's like totally confused. And Jesus, he rebukes this guy, verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Now what Jesus had referenced there, the water and the spirit, if, you, if you're taking notes or you want to write in your Bible here, you could write down Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. That's a clear reference to the Old Testament where it's talking about a way that people will get saved while they'll get a new heart. It's like they'll be washed, they'll be cleansed with water of all of their sin and they'll get a new heart and God will put His Holy Spirit in them and that Holy Spirit then will for the first time in their life give them the power to actually obey God and do what He says. They'll stop trying to be good and they'll actually be good because God will give them a new heart and the Holy Spirit will cause them to obey God's commands. That's what Ezekiel 36 says. That's what Jesus is referring to when he mentions being born again. And here's one of the primary religious leaders of the day, and he doesn't get Jesus' clear reference, and he's like, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't get it? And so then Jesus, he goes on and says some things, but he gives him another story and this is what we want to focus in on, this other reference to something in the Old Testament that he expects anybody, Nicodemus, no matter who you are, you'll get this one. And look what Jesus says in verse 14. Verse 14 and 15, that's what we want to zoom in on. Another reference to the Old Testament. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And you might be familiar with the next verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. You're not getting what I'm saying, Nicodemus. Let me break it down for you. Remember Moses and the serpent in the wilderness? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. You might be scratching your head about what that's about. But turn to Numbers chapter 24, and uh, 21, 21 verse 4, excuse me. Numbers 21 
verse 4, and I want you to see what Jesus is referring to because it's absolutely fascinating. It's a crazy story from the Old Testament, and Jesus is saying, just like this serpent, whatever this serpent's about, just like this serpent gets lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's how Jesus referred to himself, must be lifted up. So he's saying, remember that Old Testament story about Moses and the serpent? That's exactly what's going to happen to me when I get lifted up. And so Nicodemus, I don't know if he even understood this example, but we can understand it here tonight. Look at this crazy story from the Old Testament. God has delivered his people of Israel out of Egypt. They're now traveling in the wilderness. Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Have you ever gone on a trip? Anybody ever gone on a trip and became impatient a little bit on an airplane, in a car? Anybody ever had the family road trip where there was a little bit of impatience going on? Famous, yeah, I got an amen on that one. Any uh, famous question that comes out of the back seat, right? Are we, we all know, that's what's going on here. We're in the wilderness. This isn't fun. And the people spoke against God and against Moses and here's their complaining. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. God is amazingly feeding the people with manna, which when you study manna, I think the closest thing we have to manna is Krispy Kreme donuts, uh, which sounds delicious to me. But these guys, I guess, have had the same thing so many days that they're getting tired of it, and so they're complaining and this sounds like some kids I know. They live at my house. I don't know if you have any people like this at your house, but I don't want to eat this, you know. Now, this might seem a little harsh, but look at what happens in verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So we go from, are we there yet, to here's some snakes, and, and people are dying all over the place. I don't know if any dad has ever felt like uh, things weren't going so well in the back seat. Hey, kids, here's some snakes, you know. Why don't you try this, right? That might seem a little harsh. But what I want you to understand here is that the judgment isn't harsh. The sin is a very serious problem. God has delivered you from Egypt. You've been calling on him for many years. He has answered your prayers. He has given you salvation, freedom. You're your own nation. And your response to all that God has given you is to grumble and complain against him. Now, complaining might not seem like the biggest sin, but in this passage, it brings on snakes. Because one thing we need to understand, my friends, is the penalty of sin... Are there snakes behind me right now? Is anybody feeling uncomfortable? Are they, are they big snakes? One is about to bite you. Watch out. Imagine, I wasn't joking. Imagine there was one under your seat right now, and it's crawling for you, and it's going to bite you. Did that freak anybody out right now when we just did this? I don't know if it did enough, actually, so I actually invited a friend to come and visit us here tonight. Everybody, this is Bertha. Welcome, Bertha. She's coming in here, and she just wants, she's just going to get close enough so you can feel what it would be like 
Thank you, Lynn. That was a great response. Just sheer terror right there in the front row, right? Can everyone see the snake here? If one of these was chasing you down, trying to bite you, okay? And in the scripture here, they're called fiery serpents. And the idea is not that they were serpents of fire, but that when they bit you, it felt like a flame was just taking off through your body. It felt like your body was on fire when one of these snakes bit you. So you complain against God. Next thing you know, there's snakes coming from everywhere, and they're chasing you down, and they're trying to bite you. And if they bite you, it feels like you're on fire. And to many people, it feels like they're burning to death right there in the camp. See, the thing that you and I need to realize is sin is so serious that God would kill his own son for it. That everyone who sins will die. Is anybody still getting freaked out over here? So maybe when I say sin is serious, you're not that scared of your sin. You're not that scared of what might happen to you. Picture Bertha chasing you down, and when she bites you, it'll feel like fire is spreading all over your body. Now, what are the people of Israel? Thank you very much for for freaking everyone out. Now, come down here. to Let's continue the story. Verse 7. So what did the people do about it? Because the snakes are biting all their friends, and they're dying. And the people, verse 7, came to Moses. And said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. We complained, we grumbled. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees this this serpent on the pole, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the people, when you realize the consequence of sin, that it's death, that it's judgment, the people, they quickly change their complaining ways, and they come and they ask, help, hey, will you pray to God? We're sorry, we confess it as sin. Can we be forgiven? And God, in His grace and mercy, He provides a way to escape the penalty of the snakes. Hey, Moses, put this serpent up on a pole, something maybe like this, and if you look at the serpent you will live. So just just in your mind, picture yourself here as one of the Israelites, and you're going on this road trip in the middle of nowhere, and you're getting tired, and you're getting thirsty, and you're getting hungry, and you get a little ornery, and you start to say, are we there yet? And why did God bring us out here? And I don't want to die in this wilderness. And snakes, because of your sin, doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but now there's snakes going around, and they're biting people. And they're chasing people down. And many people that you know are dying because these snakes are coming after them. Imagine now, you hear that Moses has set up this serpent and whoever looks at this serpent will live. And so you start running towards where Moses is with the serpent. But here comes Bertha. And suddenly, in this weird, horrific realization, you realize Bertha can slither faster than you can run, my friends. And you're running as fast as you can, but she chases you down. She bites you, and it feels like fire is spreading. But right around the corner, you're crawling. You're just trying to take every step because you know there's a serpent. And if you could just see the serpent, if you could just get around the corner and get a glimpse of it, if you could see the serpent, then you would live if you could just see the serpent right there. And Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And if you look at Him, you will live, it says. Every single person in this room 
has sinned against God. You have complained against the life that he has given you. And the consequence of that is death. But now, if you will confess your sin, God has said, I will put something else up there. And if you look at it, you will live. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be lifted up. And anyone who believes in me, anyone who looks at me, and the fact that I died in their place, that person will live. So is anybody here afraid of snakes? See, it's exactly how you should feel about your sin. It's exactly how you should feel about your sin. It should terrify you that you have sinned against God. You should know that your sin is killing you. In fact, if we're going to talk about snakes, right, who, who immediately do we think of? Who's, who's the first snake that shows up on the scene? Satan. Do you realize that Satan wants every single person here in this room to die in their sin? He wants them to burn forever. That's what Satan desires for souls. Let's get that down for point number one here in this kind of disturbing sermon that we've got going so far. It's point number one, Satan wants you to die. Satan wants you to die. Satan wants you to sin and think it's no big deal so that you will still die in your sin and face eternal consequences with him forever. And that's why Satan showed up as the first serpent. And that's why he deceived Eve, right? Into, into eating from the knowledge of the tree and good and evil because he knew then that once she took that bite and she passed it on to her husband and we fell as a human race into sin that from the dust of the ground we came and to the dust we would return and that's why Satan deceived them because he wanted us all to be in sin and he wanted us all to die. That's Satan's plan for your life. That's the entire world system is designed so you won't think your sin is a big deal, so you won't think the consequence of sin is death, and you'll keep doing it all the way until the day that you die. And the good news is from the beginning, when Satan, the original serpent, when he deceives Adam and Eve, and now all of us throughout history, every single human has bitten the forbidden fruit of temptation, and we have all fallen short, and we've all sinned. God gave this promise. He, the, the Lord God said to the serpent, and here's the promise that he gave right here coming up on the screen. The Lord God said to the serpent, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So when Satan sees Jesus dying on the cross, Satan thinks he has won a victory. But man, would you rather crush somebody's heel or crush somebody's skull? See, Jesus won victory over Satan on that cross. If, if there was a snake loose in this room and somebody grabbed something and crushed the skull of that snake, wouldn't they be a hero to the rest of us? They'd probably be a criminal in the eyes of the state of California, right? Because you can't hurt animals anymore. But they'd be my personal hero, right? The snake is loose. The snake is out to destroy everyone, to kill everyone. And here's a prophecy from the very beginning that Jesus fulfills at the cross where he crushes Satan's head. Look at this verse right here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of of the devil. The devil started sin and Jesus once and for all destroyed sin by dying for it on the cross so that you now can be saved, my friends. 
You don't have to live under the power of Satan, under the power of sin, under the power of death, because Jesus came and he was lifted up. And if you look at Jesus, you will what? What's our theme of the night? Look at Jesus and you will live. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So we started out, point number one, Satan wants you to die. Let's go back to that and let's put now, but Jesus died so you can live. See? Jesus comes in as your substitute. Jesus comes in now to save the day. There's a bronze serpent on a pole, Israelites, and if some snake bites you, and we've all been bitten, my friends, if a snake bites you, you look at this pole and live. Well, now you can look at what we're here to celebrate, what we're here to remember tonight, the cross of Jesus Christ, and if you see him up there dying for you and you put your faith in him, you will live and Satan will have no power over you. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, my friends. And he has won a great victory. Because I, sin is as serious as a snake bite, my friends. When you have been bitten, when they got bitten by these fiery serpents, they died. When you have committed sin, and all it takes before a holy God is one sin. Might not even be a big sin. Could be something like complaining. But when you have committed a sin, the Bible is clear that the wages of your sin is what? Death. Let's get that down for point number two. The wages of your sin is death. We are all going to die, but it's worse than that. The reason we are going to die is because of our sin, and our sin, as we commit it, as we say it, as we think about it, it is actually killing us. We are in the process of perishing because of our sin. Here's the whole verse from Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but here's good news. For free, you can have life instead tonight. Now, isn't that a good trade that we're offering here tonight? On This is why it's Good Friday, my friends. Instead of dying for your sin, you can have the perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ instead. A life that will last forever. That's what it says here. Now what we've got to see, sometimes we just cheapen this. When it's a free gift, it doesn't seem like it costs anything. So we think we'll have this casual association with Jesus. Maybe we'll just pray a prayer casually to receive this free gift. But I've heard something that maybe many of you have heard. And it's a great little statement to live by. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Anybody ever heard that before? If you're eating lunch for free, they're not giving away lunch for free. Somebody paid for your lunch. And if you're getting a free gift, if all you've got to do is look at Jesus on the cross and live, well, it costs somebody something, and it costs Jesus a whole lot to purchase your salvation. It cost him his blood, his perfect righteous blood. It cost him his life. For the first time in all of eternity, the son was separated from the father and the father poured out his wrath for your sin on his own son so that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus went through hell on that Friday long ago so you never have to. He paid it all for you. There's no such thing as a free lunch, but there is a free gift 
when somebody else pays for it and Jesus on that cross died for every single sin that you've ever done and he paid for it completely. Let's get that down for the second part here of point number two. Hey, the wages of your sin is death. What your sin earns. You're not, you're not a good person earning your way into heaven. You're a, you're a bad person, a sinner, the Bible says, earning death for yourself but Jesus already paid the debt of all of your sin. And he shouted out in John 19, verse 30, it is finished, or as you could translate it, paid in full. Anybody here glad that Jesus paid so that you could have eternal life instead of eternal death? That's what Jesus Christ did on Good Friday. That's why we're here right now. That's what we're celebrating. What we're celebrating is this amazing thing that my sin deserves this punishment that should surely come. And and when we read a story like this where snakes are biting people because they're complaining, we realize how we have totally underestimated the seriousness of our own sin. And here's a holy God showing us what he really thinks about it. And in the horrible realization of my sin that I deserve to die, no, I can just look at this right here. And if I see the Son of God on the cross bleeding out on that tree for me, if I just look at him and I believe and I put my trust in him, it says, I live. I get a free gift. He pays and I am receive the blessing. That's what Good Friday is all about. It's the greatest deal, the greatest exchange in the history of the entire world. Now go back to John chapter 3 with me. And I want you to see this phrase that Jesus gives us that we're trying to use to help us think about Jesus on the cross. As we come here to gather together tonight as, as Christian people, brothers and sisters, blood brothers and sisters, or maybe there's visitors tonight who aren't saved as we come to think about Jesus, we want to look at this phrase in John three fourteen, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we get that picture of that bronze serpent that snake-bitten people are just reaching out for, looking at so they can live. Well, just like that, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, here's a phrase. When you see Jesus up there on the cross in your mind's eye, when you try to picture it, here's a phrase that Jesus used to describe it. I'm going to be lifted up, he says. Lifted up. What does he mean by that? Well, surely, I mean, he got lifted up when they nailed him up there with his hands and his feet to hold him to this piece of wood that he would kind of crumple on and then try to lift himself back up to breathe. So surely he was talking about it in a physical sense, but there's also a spiritual reality that Jesus is referring to when he says, I'm going to be lifted up. And Nicodemus, he doesn't get it. There's no way he could get it until it actually happens. In fact, if you start going through the Gospel of John, you'll see that Jesus kept saying over and over to people who couldn't possibly understand, I'm going to be lifted up. And that if those people couldn't understand what he was meaning in that day, then it must have been written down so that you and I could come to understand what does it mean that Jesus was lifted up for us. Go to John chapter 8 and you'll see it here. John chapter 8, Jesus is going to continually refer to himself as the one who must be lifted up. And even though when he's saying that, no one can quite grasp what he's talking about because he's speaking about the future. And they did not understand what Jesus was saying. John 8, 27 says, so here in John 8, 28, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, obviously referring to himself on the cross, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And then I do nothing on my own authority, but speak 
just as the Father taught me. When you lift me up, when you execute me there on the cross, then you will know that I am he. Then you will see that I am the son of God. And isn't that what we read earlier? I mean, can you imagine these soldiers who mocked Jesus Christ, stripping him in public of his clothes, putting this crown of thorns on his head, putting this purple robe on him, and then can you imagine these soldiers in their, in their, in their just making fun of Jesus Christ, getting down on their knees and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, which none of these Romans would have taken seriously at all. And then they beat him, they mock him, they spit on him, they do all kinds of bullying things to him, and then they take a robe off of him. If you've just been beaten on your back, do you want a robe ripped off of your exposed flesh? That's what these soldiers do. They think so little of Jesus Christ that they're casting lots for his garments while he's dying. They're dividing up his clothes. And by the end, the centurion who oversaw all of this absolute just nonsense and sin against the Son of God, he stands there at the cross. He sees Jesus lifted up. And what does he say right away? Truly, this was the Son of God. And he repents of his wickedness right there. And he's immediately shamed that he or any of his soldiers mocked the one who is God. See, when Jesus was lifted up, what did people understand? I am he. See, Nicodemus comes to him in night, clearly confused, doesn't understand who Jesus is. But no, afterwards, after Jesus is die, dies, it says in John 19 that Nicodemus came with other people to bury Jesus because he didn't get it in John chapter 3 but after Jesus was lifted up Nicodemus understood who he was not just a teacher no he was God go to John chapter 12 and you'll see Jesus again referring to what it means that he was lifted up see he's not just referring to being lifted up on the wood at the cross he's referring to some kind of exaltation some kind of glory that when he dies he reaches this honored holy place and finally people will see who Jesus really was and it says here in John chapter 12 start with me in verse 27 Jesus is coming now to the end where he's nearing his death. And it was so hard for Jesus to die for us. It cost him everything. And he says, now my, is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Shall I pray, Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And here's Jesus thinking about paying for your free lunch, paying for your free gift. Jesus is going to take all of your sin on his shoulders, not just yours, but everybody. He's going to bear the sin of the whole world. And he's feeling the burden of that. And he says, shall I ask my father to save me from this hour? No, I came for this hour. He says, Father, glorify your name. Exalt who you are. This is what it's all about. Put your glory on display, Jesus says. That's why I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to be lifted up to show the glory of God. And immediately it says, a voice came from heaven, verse 28. The Father answers him, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. 
And the crowd all of a sudden heard God the Father speak from heaven. And they stood there and they heard it and said that it had thundered. They didn't even know what to think about it. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus says, no, let me tell you what God's going to do. He's going to do something so far beyond what you could even imagine or conceive. He's going to glorify himself. And now Satan and all of his reign and this sin that he has wreaked havoc on the planet and all of the death that is coming because of sin, I will cast out the ruler of this world, Jesus says. I will win the victory over Satan once and for all. And then I will draw all people to myself. Now there will be a way of salvation for your sin to be forgiven. Access straight to God. And it will be because I am lifted up. See, the good news here tonight is that you and I, we aren't some crowd in Israel. We aren't some Nicodemus guy trying to figure out what Jesus is saying. No, we can look down 2,000 years into history. We can read the accounts given to us in Scripture, and you can know what it means that Jesus was lifted up for you. You can know it right here tonight. And you can see Jesus Christ up there on that cross, that your sin was so serious that you deserve to die, and He took your place. And you can look at him tonight. Maybe some of you, maybe there's a soul here tonight for the first time on this Good Friday. You will look at Jesus and you will live for the first time. See? He's doing it to draw all people to himself. What does he mean by that? Now it's not just going to be a thing for the nation of Israel. It's going to be for all people of all nations, of all times, all the way down to your soul sitting here this very evening. He wants to draw you to himself and he wants you to see him so high and lifted up that you could do nothing when you think of Jesus but give him glory and honor and worship him with all of your life. That's the response, the only response that makes sense to the death of Jesus Christ is to see him where he is now in heaven, exalted, having won the victory, having offered salvation to all of mankind. And when you see Jesus, do you worship him, my friend? Is your heart just humbled before him? And you see him high and lifted up. Let's get that down for point number three. Man, we need to see him. Like those Israelites saw the, the bronze serpent. And we need to see Jesus on the cross high and lifted up. You know, if you continue reading in the scripture, eventually they had to take down the bronze serpent that Moses went up because people, it was such a powerful place. There were so many stories of people who had been bit by the snake and they were going to suffer death because of their sin, but they had looked at this serpent and they had lived that eventually they had to take it down because the people would still go there and they would start worshiping this bronze serpent on a pole because they saw that it could give life. And I wonder how many Christians today, when they see Jesus and they think about him on the cross, they fall to their knees in worship because they see him as the only source, the only hope of their life. 
the one who purchased them back from hell and gave them a free gift of heaven forever, of knowing God in a personal relationship. That's what we offer to every person here tonight. And if you have this relationship, if you know Jesus, if you have looked at Jesus when you were convicted of your sin and you have seen him there on the cross and you have put your faith in Jesus, man, do you live here tonight? Do you know what it's like to live in Jesus Christ? To have your sins go away, to be born again, to walk in newness of life. Man, that is all because Jesus was lifted up. We should see him high. We should worship him. We should remember what he has done. And I hope it moves you to tears tonight. I hope you can't stop thinking about Jesus all night long, the next day, and many days from now. Because you are one of the few who worship him. Who see him for who he is. Lift it up. Let us give Jesus the glory. Man, we're here to do something very specific. If you're a part of this church, we have basically one goal at this church. I mean, it's to make disciples of Jesus, but even the higher goal than the making of disciples, even the higher goal of Jesus dying for our sin is to lift high the name of God. To give God all of the glory. To worship him forever and ever. To say that I am not worthy, but there is one who is, that there was a day that I was going to die, and I knew it in my soul, and I felt the fires of hell coming around me, and I looked at him there on that cross, and I lived since that day. And I will never die now, because I saw Jesus high and lifted up, and I lived. And we want to give you a time, a, a time for you to worship Jesus in your own heart, and it's a very special time. It, it's a time of communion. And when Jesus, on the night before he died, he sat down with his disciples and he held up the bread that they were eating there and he said to them, this is my body as he handed it to them. And then he took the cup that they were drinking there and he said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to pass out two elements that are, that are symbols for us here tonight. That there was a real body of Jesus Christ that died on that cross, and there was real blood that was shed, and that because Jesus died, you get the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, let me just say something, and I want to say this very seriously. If you are still living a life of sin, and you know it here tonight, please do not take these elements. Please do not dishonor the glory of Jesus who shed his precious blood to wash your sin away. If you are still in that sin, Jesus didn't die so we could keep sinning. He died so our sin could be done, could be washed away. If you're still in sin tonight, I ask you for your own sake, please don't dishonor what Jesus has done by taking these elements. If you know you're in sin right now, let this communion pass and look at the cross of Jesus Christ and confess your sin and live, my friend. Don't be a hypocrite, please. But for those of you guys who are saved and you have been washed and you're living this new life, and I know there are many saints of Jesus Christ here tonight, when you take these elements, please remember what Jesus did for you. Remember what it was like when you first saw him there on the cross and you knew that you had eternal life. So please go ahead and bow your heads with me. I'll pray and then we'll pass these elements and then we'll all take it together at the end. So please bow your head. God, we do come to you so grateful, God. We come to you and our hearts are overwhelmed. God, we know that we were people who, who were on our way to death. 
because of our sin, and yet we could look at Jesus Christ there on the cross and we could live, that everyone who believes in him is given this gift of eternal life because he paid for it. So God, I just pray right now that this would be a, a sacred time, a special time in all of our hearts, a time that's holy and set apart to you, that as we take this communion, and we think about a, a body of Jesus Christ, that the the glory that you had took on flesh, your son, and he shed his body for us. God, let us remember, as we think about the blood that was poured out, a blood that we already sang washes all of our sins away, let us remember that the only reason any of us here could have a good Friday or have a good day on any day is because there was only one who was good, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross for sinners like us so make this a powerful time of remembrance and please god be worshiped in our hearts may we respond to you in praise and thanksgiving we pray this in jesus name